You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It is great to see you guys here today. You excited to be here? Uh, I think you can do better than that. You excited to be here today? All right, you're, you're, you're awake. This is third service, so you guys should be a little bit more alive, right? And some of you guys would say that you are ready by a woohoo for our Christmas services. Who's ready for that? Okay, that's not too bad. You guys win out of the all three services today, but man, we're so excited about our Christmas services coming up. Uh, I hope you're inviting people as Landon was talking about. Man, we're expecting God to do some great things, so take those invitations seriously, man. It's going to be a great day to see God uh, move. Obviously, next week, Christmas offering, so many cool things happening here in the life of our church. We've got some special guests with us today. Um, if, you were, if you were part of FC uh, about three, four years ago, you'll remember we were going to Haiti and doing some mission uh, there, and uh, my brother met a young man named Colby there. And uh, Colby, raise your hand. Actually, would you and your, your, your posse there just stand up? You got your dad, you got your uncle. Um, would you just show them a round of applause here? We thank you guys for being here. You can, little backstory, they're all from Haiti. My brother um, helped Kobe come to the States. He graduated from the University of Tennessee uh, yesterday. And uh, by, yeah, absolutely. And by God's grace, uh, he's going to do some incredible work in the future for the Lord in uh, his home country, I know. And uh, what's awesome about that, he came to our church and he spoke and, and uh, it was just a cool day. It was in our mission series at that time. And so just to let you guys know, isn't it awesome? When we talk about impacting the world, there are ways in which we do that on a regular basis. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of my brother and his wife, Christy, and how they've invested in Kobe over the years. And, and uh, man, God's just doing some cool, awesome things. And he wants to do that through you as well. You might be here for the first time and, and just kind of getting connected to our church. But, but I'm, I'm excited because God has big plans for you. Uh, we're in a series that we've entitled For the City because we as a church, we are for our city. We want the gospel to impact and change our city. And so uh, as a result, you know, we do a lot of things missionally in our community. And uh, one of the biggest and greatest things we can do for our city right now is to create space for the unchurched. And so you've been hearing me talk about that, and that's why we're building next door, and we bought that land, and, and uh, we'll be talking more about it today. But you know, the reality, we're, we're, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah and we're looking at how Nehemiah led the people of Israel through a huge transition. And so we've seen how he, he rebuilt the wall, which was awesome, but that wasn't the most important thing that he did. In fact, that wasn't even really the purpose behind why God gave him that burden and sent him to lead the Israelites. I mean, that was a step, that was a big part of it, but it wasn't about the wall. The reality was God wanted his people to return to him. God wanted his people to worship him. God wanted his people to, to leave the idols that they had begun to worship and to become obedient followers once again. And, and last week we saw that they experienced a spiritual awakening and they returned to the, the, the word of God and they started making commitments. And today we're gonna see that Nehemiah is challenging them to, to return to God's laws for their life and to make some commitments. And these commitments are gonna look a little strange to us perhaps, but in fact, they're gonna make a lot of sense when we really dig into it. There's really three categories today. First commitment they make is in the area of their marriage. And so I'm gonna be asking you questions about your marriage. Who are you honoring in your marriage? 
And then we're going to talk about rest and, and, and our schedule. And the people make a recommitment to trusting God's provision in, in, in their schedules. And, and so I'm going to ask some questions today about your schedules. Do, do your schedules honor God today? And then finally, in the area of your resources, the people return to God by committing their resources to him and putting him first with their money. And so we're going we're gonna to do some self-examination. Are we honoring God with our resources today? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Nehemiah chapter 10. As you're finding that, how many of you guys have ever been on a sports team? You've, you played sports at one point when you were a kid or whenever. And we've all been on a team where there's been a guy on there, a girl, who, who wasn't quite committed to the team, right? We've all kind of experienced that. I remember when I was in high school, uh, we had um, tryouts. November 1st uh, is basketball tryouts in this area. And November 1st came and, and we were going to tryouts and um, you, you know that this is true. Like tryouts and practice didn't start then. We had been practicing in the summer. We had been practicing in the fall. We'd been doing conditioning. We, we'd been doing this for a long time. And so we show up for, for us, it was just a normal practice. But there was a group of guys in our school that thought that they were, you know, they, they thought they were ballers and they thought, you know, we're going to just show up and we're going to make this team. They thought they were good, whatever. And so they, they show up to practice and all the guys are like, all my teammates were like, who, who are these guys? Who do they think they are? Where they been, Right. So we go through the tryout and the practice, and at the end, my coach started dragging these huge trash cans uh, next to the basketball court. I was like, what is he doing, you know, with all these trash cans? And he said, hey, guys, good practice today. I just wanted you to know tomorrow is going to be an incredibly killer practice. Um, in fact, I, I've got all these trash cans here, and we're not going to finish tomorrow. We're not going to quit practice until one of you throws up in a trash can. That's when I'm going to know when practice is over. And we were all like, you know, we were scared to death. We were like, what is going on? He's going crazy. And everybody kind of left, and, and uh, I was pretty close to the coach. So I went up to him afterwards, and I'm like, hey, coach, so uh, what was the whole throwing up in the trash can bit? You know, <laughs> you know, kind of scared. Guys are wondering what's going on. He said, Trent, you know, the best way um, for me to cut these players is to let them cut themselves. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we'll see who's going to show up tomorrow for practice if they know that's the kind of commitment it's going to take. And sure enough, the next day we come to practice and not one of those guys showed up. They were scared to death. And, and that has always been a, a lesson for me in commitment because the reality is everybody wants to be on the team. Sounds fun, want the uniform, want to be in front of people, want to be on the team. But at the end of the day, being on the team demands a commitment. And so if you've been on a sports team or you're in an organization, so you're working with a group of people, you're essentially on a team now, if you've got somebody on your team who isn't doing their fair share, if they're not truly committed to the organization, they weren't truly committed to the team, it shows up in all areas of their life and their attitude, it shows up. It shows up on the court and their effort. And so they can really become a cancer on the team and really begin to distort the team and, and cause problems. And, and nobody wants to be on a team with somebody like that. And, and we're gonna see Nehemiah and this group of Israelites, they are making a commitment. And this commitment demands action and it requires trust in God. It is not easy. It is going to require much from them. It's gonna be sacrifice. It's gonna be hard. And yet they're willing to do it. And I want us to, to think through this today and in fact, hopefully be encouraged to do so. So the bottom line, if you, if you don't get anything else, hear this and, 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 and take this home with you. A commitment to God always requires an action that displays a level of trust. A commitment to God, a true commitment to God always requires 
an action. I want you to do this. So if I'm, if I'm committed to God, X, Y, and Z is happening in my life. I am committed, I am, I am working, I am obedient, I am following him because following Christ is, is this idea that I am doing something, right? I'm, I'm motivated, I'm in motion for the gospel. It's not just to come and sit or observe, or it's not just a philosophy, it's that we are doing something that he's called us to do, right? So a commitment to God involves and requires an action, and that action, listen, always displays a level of trust because, God, I'm going to do this. You're asking me to do this, God, really? I'm not good enough. I, I don't think I can make it happen. I can't pull it off. I don't know enough. I don't have enough resources. All these excuses because we are inadequate. But you know what? It requires an action, so we do it. And when we do that action, it, it displays a level of trust. God, if I do this, I am trusting that you're going to come through. I'm trusting that you're going to answer. I'm trusting that you're going to be faithful to me in this situation. And so as we look at these commitments today, we want to remember we're looking at the Old Testament. So anytime we look at the Old Testament, we're looking through the lens of the gospel, the, the, the new covenant. So Jesus comes, he dies on the cross for our sins, and he fulfills the law. So that when we read the Old Testament and we see all the civil law and the ceremonial law, we're not bound by that as New Testament believers, right? But there is what we call the moral law that we find in the Old Testament. And the moral law is what we do adhere to and what we do uh, hold ourselves accountable to. But Jesus fulfilling the, 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 the new covenant, dying on the cross for our sins, now we have a brand new covenant with God through the grace of the cross. And so keep that in mind. I'll continue to refer to that as we read. This is chapter 10, verse 30. He says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or in a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, new moons, appointed feasts, holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. Listen, and for all the work of the house of God, verse 34, we the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. For we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law and the firstborns of our herds and of our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and the contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, the priests to the chambers of the houses of our God and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Verse 39, for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. And listen to this, we will not neglect the house of our God. 
few commitments that we see here today that I want to bring to your attention apply to us today. And the first one is this. They are trusting God in marriage. So they trust God for marriage. Look again at at verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take daughters for our sons. The recommitment here is that, look, we are going to trust God with our marriages. We're gonna trust his plan for marriage, not our plan, not what we think is important, not what we think we need to do, but we're gonna trust God with his plan. Now, what do I mean? When he is saying, don't marry peoples from other nations, he's not saying that as an American, that I am am disobeying God if I marry a European or an Australian or an African. That's not what he is saying. This is a spiritual issue. God's purpose in this commandment is that you put him first in your marriage so that when you marry someone, they too should be a follower of God. And so for us, if we apply that to our life, we're gonna trust God's plan for marriage. That means that if you're going to marry, marry a believer, a follower of Jesus. You see, the reality is if you give your daughter to a man who worships other gods, chances are he's gonna influence your daughter and she's gonna, she's gonna incorporate those beliefs and those religious ideas into her life. And then you have kids and then your kids are confused about who God is and, 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 and what they should do with their worship. And, and that is exactly what was happening for the people of Israel. They were marrying peoples from other nation and every nation had a God or God's Every nation had idols. And so by marrying those folks from other nations, they were in fact embracing their religion. And God says, this is why I told you, don't marry people from other nations. This is what's gonna happen. So again, apply it to our life through the lens of the gospel. This means that if I'm gonna marry, that I wanna marry a follower of Jesus. How can the two unite as one if we are not united on the most fundamental question in our life, that is our faith. See, I think the institution of marriage obviously is under a reconstruction. People are trying to redefine what marriage is. And so as believers, we get sucked into culture. We get sucked into these beliefs and, and we start you know, incorporating them into our own thinking and our own philosophy of life. And I think it's important for us to step back and remember what God's plan is. A lot of people, even people that claim the name of Jesus, you know, have, have begun to make it a habit of just living together more so than, than in the past. Like it makes sense financially for us and we wanna make sure that this is a good thing for us and so we're just gonna live together and, and, uh, and, and just see how it goes. And folks, we have to realize that is not God's plan for our marriage. That leads us down a very dark path. In fact, Hebrews 13, four says, marriage should be honored by all. That means that all of us, married people in the room, honor marriage. And those who are married in the room, we must honor it. In other words, value it, see it as important. See it as something that we must hold true to God's word. See, if you're gonna marry, the Bible doesn't say that we have to marry, right? Paul says, if you can be single, be single. But if you burn with passion, Paul says, uh, you should get married. And so if you're single today, be single, this is great. This is great for you. If you decide to get married, this is wonderful as well. But if you marry, make sure you marry someone who is a follower of Jesus. Statistically, that's a kind of tongue twister there. 
Statistics show us that most of us are gonna marry the person that we date, right? So if you're single in the room, that you wanna date somebody who is a follower of Jesus. It just makes sense. When I was in student ministry, I always had you know, these young girls that would come into my office and say, I met this really great guy, blah, blah, blah. Is he a, a follower of Jesus? Well, no, but I'm going to lead him to Jesus. I'm really influencing him, and I'm really showing him the love of Christ. Yeah. It was only a matter of time before the same girl was in my office crying, her heart broken because of how the relationship went, you know, off track. And, you know, you're called to be missionaries, but you're not called to missionary date. Lead that person to Christ and then make a commitment to date them. I think it's so important. He's such a nice guy. Sounds wonderful, you know, before you're married. But it does you no good, ladies, six years into the marriage when he's a jerk and doesn't want to go to church and he's teaching your kids to do the same. You want to find a man, you want to find a woman who honors the Lord Jesus with their life. And if you choose not to and you choose to go a different plan and a different route, I've talked to enough people who have gone that route that have discovered that it is a painful route. And so I want to come around God's word here. I want to come around a very simple truth that each of us need to grasp. For all the single folks in the room, you want to grasp this. If you're living with your you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, keep the marriage bed pure. That's the next phrase of Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. How do you honor the marriage bed and keep it pure if you're single? Well, you make sure nobody else is sleeping in your bed. <laughs> You can honor your future marriage by honoring your sexual appetite and honoring other people in your life right now, remaining sexually pure. That's God's plan for you. Outside of that is adultery. Sex outside of marriage is considered adultery in the word of God. He says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral Folks, this is huge. If you're gonna get married, young people, make sure you marry a follower of Jesus. Some of you are treating marriage as if it's just a serious dating relationship. That's one of the cultural things that we see. You know, marriage isn't viewed as a covenant before our God, a covenant that we make with somebody to say, I am promising to, to live with you. You know, we're not promising like to be happy together. <laughs> Like there's gonna be some unhappy moments in marriage. It's gonna be hard. This is why God designs it. It will be difficult, but he uses those difficulties to grow us spiritually, to mature us, so that the evil in our heart and the selfishness in our own heart is exposed by our spouse. And we have the opportunity to see who we are and what, we, what we're doing, and then be, be able to ask for forgiveness and, and seek repentance. This is how God grows us. And so, yeah, it's gonna be, Difficult. Marriage is not just a serious dating relationship to be thrown away when things get difficult. It's a covenant. We're saying, God, this is the person I'm going to work with and live with and love on. And I'm going to seek forgiveness from her because I'm an idiot a lot of the times. And, and sometimes she is. I am more than her. But sometimes she is. And she's going to seek forgiveness. You know, and this is what marriage is. Now, some of you get it. Some of you are, are, are praying together as a couple. You're coming to church together, serving together, and God's blessing you as a result. There's still problems. It's, it's difficult, but God's blessing you, and he, he will continue to bless you as you do that. You're, you're, you're committed to the church, and God's doing some wonderful things. Some of you, 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 you're speaking unkindly to each other, being hard on each other. 
You, you, haven't, you can't even remember the last time you said, forgive me. I tell you what, here's a good mile marker. If you haven't said, honey, forgive me in the last week, you're way behind, dude. You're way, way behind, right? Because there was a million things you could have said, honey, I'm sorry, forgive me. I could probably say that every day, right? <laughs> so the reality is, folks, we got to see this for, for, for what it is. Honor God, honor marriage, honor your commitment. A good Christmas present, you know, if you're, if you're living together, a good Christmas present might be a ring. It might be a commitment to get married. But somebody should move out. Somebody should pop the question, right? Like we, we want to commit to God and put him first in our marriage. And that starts even when you're single. Second thing that we see here is that they are trusting in God's provision. Look again at verse 31. It says, and if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. See, the people here are trusting in God's provision. The Old Testament law that Moses gave to them required them to take a day of rest that they called the Sabbath, to keep that day holy. Now that was Saturday for the Israelites. And so every Saturday they had a, a list of rules that they could not do on the Sabbath. So they were required not to work. They were required not to do a, a ton of other things as well, which is why Jesus comes on the scene and he criticizes them for being legalistic about uh, missing the point of the Sabbath. And so essentially they were not supposed to work. If they had servants, their servants weren't supposed to work. Um, and if they had animals, the animals weren't supposed to work either and a lot of other stuff. And, and so again, this is Old Testament. So how do, we, how do we as New Testament under the new covenant post the cross view the Sabbath? Well, for, for us, the early Christians decided to meet on Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday. And so we just kind of carried that tradition. We carried the tradition of worshiping corporately together on Sunday, and so traditionally we have Sundays off. And, and, uh, but what we want to be careful about is saying, hey, it's the Sabbath day. You got to keep it holy because every day is, is holy before the Lord. Now, Romans 14, 5 and 6 says, all days are alike. No day is holier than another. In Colossians 2, 16, it says that no one should be taken captive in regard to a Sabbath day because there were, there were Christians that were saying, no, you've got to keep the Sabbath. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That, that was Moses. That was Old Testament. Now that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, now what we do is we embrace his work on the cross. He finished it. We don't have to work for our salvation anymore. Now we can rest in him. So a little bit different, uh, you know, when we apply it today, one day is not more holy than another. We could worship on Saturday. We could worship on Thursday. Whenever we want corporately, traditionally, we're going to stick with Sundays. Maybe in the future we'll go to Saturday. I don't know. But the reality is we could worship corporately any day. The application that I want to make to you today is this. So understanding that they are trusting God for provision. So, so here's how they're doing it, by the way. First off, they're, they're going to say, I'm going to work six days and I'm going to take one day off. In our culture, we're, we think, okay, if I could work seven days, man, that means more production. That means more money. That means more success, so I'm going to work, 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 right? And, and they were saying, I'm going to work six. I'm going to take one day off. I'm going to trust that God's going to provide for me even though I'm not working. So every seventh year, they were supposed to have a Sabbath for their, for their crops. So on that seventh year, 
they were not supposed to plant any of their crops. Essentially saying, God, we trust you to provide, not the land. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't grow anything that year. And so that's one of the commitments that they're making that Sabbath year, seventh year. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for them? In, in a farming culture, not only do you have to provide for year six for yourself, but year six had to actually provide for that year, the year of the Sabbath, and then the, even the following year because you didn't plant anything last year. Huge commitment. Wouldn't have been easy for them. Would have been a huge sacrifice. What we know as far as you know, farming is concerned is God, it's also really, really smart. If you plant the same crop in the same ground year after year, it's going to strip the land of its nutrients. And so it was a way for the land to replenish itself as well. It was a, it, it, and that's exactly what this work six days, take one day off does. It replenishes us by saying, God, on one day, I'm gonna rest from my work and I'm gonna trust in your rest. I'm gonna focus on you, focus on my family. And that's really the principle that I want us to grasp today. It's really simple. It's, it's really this idea that I'm gonna commit to rest. I'm gonna trust your provision. So I'm gonna commit to rest and I'm gonna trust that God will provide for my needs. I'm gonna commit to rest on that seventh day, whatever day that is, I'm gonna commit to it. Maybe it's Sunday for you, so you come to church and you're not working today and you're gonna focus on your family. You're gonna focus on the Lord and say, you know what, I'm not gonna work. I'm not gonna try to produce. I'm gonna trust that God is going to produce for me because we know what happens, whether we accept it or not. We know if our rhythm is work seven days, seven days, seven days, seven days, go, 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 go. It's only a matter of time before we get overworked and we're, we're stressed and that stress leads to health problems. It also leads to family problems because you're not doing what you need to do as a man for your wife and your kids or vice versa. We know that it's gonna lead to all kinds of other issues relationally. We know that, that if we're not taking that rest, if we're not taking that time, we're gonna burn out. All these problems will begin to arise. And ultimately, if we have that rhythm in our life of go, 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 we never have time to listen and hear from God. It's practical on every little level. Work six days, take one day of rest. See, that's a commitment that requires an action, an action of rest and displays a level of trust, doesn't it? God, we're not gonna work. We're not gonna plant this year. Oh, and also it says that they, they were gonna forgive everyone's debt. So the end of that verse says, and the exaction of every debt. The other command was that on year seven, don't plant and Release everyone who owes you money. In other words, if they owe you 100 bucks, just write it off and just say, you don't have to pay me anymore. You believe that? What would you do? God wants me to let these people off the hook. They owe me 100 bucks. What's up with that? You know, they, Joker probably waited till year seven. I knew he was waiting, so I would have to do it. Requires an action. It requires a level of trust. I gotta trust God. I'm gonna show other people grace in business it's totally different from our culture today. It's totally different for how, from how we're, we look at it and what we're taught. You know, when my kids were little, I always loved teaching them new things. One of those new things was always swimming in the pool, you know, and actually swimming and not like touching the wall and, and, and you know, in the shallow end. And I remember my third child, Brooke, she, uh, I remember one day specifically, she was doing great in the shallow end. She had learned how to swim. And so she was swimming from one side to the other side, going underwater and swimming on top of the water. And I was so excited. I'm like, honey, you are ready. Let's go to the deep end. 
She's like, I don't want to go to the deep end. It's like, no, come on, let's go to the deep end. You can do it. And so she was clinging on for dear life on the edge of the pool, you know, kind of shuffling down the side of the pool. We finally got in the deep end, and I went to the other side, and I said, Brooke, come swim to me. Come swim to me. You can do it. Uh-uh, I can't do it, Daddy. It's deep end. It's the deep end. I can't do it. So I went over to her, and I said, honey, I'll swim with you. I'll be right beside you. Let's go to the other side. I know you can do it. I just saw you do it in the shallow end. She's like, I can't, Daddy. It's the deep. I can't. Do you trust me, Brooke? Yeah, Daddy, I trust you. All right, then let go and let's swim together. And she said, nope. <laughs> I'm not letting go of the side, Dad. And so, so, so it was a matter of time before she finally did, but I'll never forget that because I'm like, I am right here, honey. Come on, you can do it. I knew she could do it. I was watching her do it. I just wonder how many of you are still doing kind of that doggy paddle in the shallow end in your spiritual life doing the very little possible to call yourself a, a Christian, struggling spiritually, struggling relationally. You don't really have a clue of, of the depth of God's richness in the word of God. And, and, and you know there's more. And you, you, you know there's gotta be more. You, you know that what's around you is, is it, it's just empty. Man, what I, I would encourage you to release the edge of the pool and swim in the deep waters of God's grace. Every time I learn a little bit, I realize I don't know very much at all. And the more I embrace his grace in my life and trust him, he overwhelms me with his blessing. And it's the greatest experience of our entire lives is to know Jesus and to know the depths of his riches and his mercy and his grace and his love. It is, it is never ending. And there's more for you to experience. And I hope this year, as it comes to an end, you'll say, you know what? I need to recommit some areas of my life. I need to recommit my, my, my family and my marriage. I need to recommit to, to a schedule that makes sense. I'm just going, going, and going. Hey, by the way, running to four basketball games on Saturday or Sunday is not rest. Like you work Monday to Friday, maybe Monday you know, to Saturday. Sunday is like my rest day. We go to church, and then we go to 10 basketball games. That, that's not rest. Your kids' sporting events is not rest, right? There's a rhythm that we have to get into where we truly are resting in the Lord. I encourage you to do that. The final area is in the area of their finances. And so they trust God with their finances. This is incredible. Ooh, we got a runner. Here, good catch. <laughs> so they trust God with their finances. And so, so, so are we honoring God with our resources? Because here's the deal. Like from verse 32 to the end of the chapter, look how many times it says, and they gave yearly a third part of their shekel. And then it says in the next verse, verse 33, there's a regular grain offering, a regular burnt offering, and it's all for all the work of the house of God. Verse 35 says the first fruits of their labor. And then he gets into talking about these tithes and contributions. And the very last verse says, we will not neglect the house of our God. The third and most important commitment that they made was a financial commitment to support the work of the temple, the ministries of the priests and the temple sacrifices and the temple ministry. Now, this again is Old Testament. The presence of God was in the temple of God. Like in the Holy of Holies, the actual presence of God was existing. Where is the, the temple of God today? Point to the temple, everybody. Right here. I, I'm the temple, you're the temple. When we receive Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And the scripture calls us 
the, the temple of God, right? And so, so as we recognize this is where the presence of God is existing and living, this building is not the house of God. This building is, <clears throat> I mean, essentially it was an old bowling alley, right? And so that's what this, it's just a building. We're, what we are doing next door is just a building, right? But as we give toward the ministry of God's church is what we're called to do. We're giving to God's church, the people, the people to do the work and the ministry. Now, I'm not a priest. Um, I'm an elder. An elder just means an overseer. I'm the primary teacher of God's word. We have other elders, other staff members that are, that are leading in areas. But every person in the room has the Holy Spirit and has, the, has spiritual gifts in their life to actually execute the ministry of the church. And so we give to God's church and then we have ministries that meet the needs of the people. So this is huge, like understanding what, what we're doing here. And so the, the, the practical reality as, as they are trusting God with their finances, the practical application is this. We're called to support the work of God's church. In the New Testament, we're, we're called to, to give regularly. Paul says to set aside a sum of money as some are in the habit of doing. And he says, I'm coming, I want, I want to take that collection. And so make it regular. We see it regular. In the Old Testament, uh, God uh, commands the Israelites to tithe. And it was more than a tithe. They, they, they had 32% of what they were making in, in their crops and their grain and their fruit and all that that was going to the temple. And so we, we, we see this concept. And, and in the New Testament, we, we see Jesus always saying, this is what you heard, but we're in the new. This is what I expect now. You, you were told not to commit adultery, but what I tell you is when you look lustfully at another woman, that's adultery. So he takes it to the next level. So I believe and I teach and we talk about it here all the time that, that we're called to give at least a percentage of 10%. And then we're, we're, we're definitely not, you know, capped by that. But we want to grow in that grace and give even more. But listen, this is the culture we're, we're in. We're in a culture of selfishness. Like, I want more. I don't want to give because if I give, then I can't do X, Y, and Z. I can't have this. I can't have that. But when we see here is we see regular gifts. We see a commitment to God financially. And so they recognize the need for this systematic giving. There's some important principles that they had to adopt and believe before they would go that far to give that kind of money and those kinds of resources. The first thing that they had to understand is that the Lord is the giver of all good gifts. So they had to embrace that truth and that reality that, that the Lord is the giver of all good gifts. So anything good that we have in our life first came from him. The second truth is that everything belongs to him. I mean, that's the truth, man. I think that's probably the biggest truth that we accept before we become givers to God's church, that, that, that he in fact owns it all. That's why he calls me a manager or a steward of his resources. And so as a steward, I, he's given me all this. And so I'm going to manage it well by giving him a portion of that back to him. And so I would encourage you to be challenged by that today. Are you, are you honoring God with your resources? I think the third thing that they had to embrace is that they, they're trusting God to provide for their needs when they're giving. If they're giving the first fruits, that means that they're giving the best to God. If I'm giving part of my grain for this sacrifice, if, I, if I'm giving my firstborn goat to you, the, the one with no blemish, the best to the temple for the sacrifice, then I'm trusting that God is going to provide for my needs. That's exactly what giving financially in today's church looks like as well. I think the fourth thing that they embrace is that Jesus is worth our best. God is worth our best. And so 
We, we give to him and we trust that he's going to supply for our needs. And so they're giving out of obedience. Now, this wasn't easy for them. This was a community that was in total disarray. And now they're finally getting their act together. And, and they're finally, they've got the walls together. And now they're finally getting the temple going. And now you're asking me to give what? I'm not ready. Oh, I've, had I known, had I known, I would have prepared. And I didn't, so I can. And maybe one day, I mean, you, some excuses I'm sure they would have said, but some excuses that we probably say. And there's probably some people in the room that used to give and used to be on top of their game and their finances. But for whatever reasons, some opportunities came your way. And as a result, you know, instead of saying, I'm doing a good work and I can't come down, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, you said yes to it and it got you distracted and you're far away from where God wants you to be. I would encourage you to, to make God first, put him first, commit to him first in the area of your finances today. We will not neglect the house of God. So we trust God with our finances. We financially support God's church. Now, I know there's probably four groups of people in the room, and I deal with this you know, quite a bit, but in, in, in the room, as far as giving, there, there's one group of people who I would just call consumers, and they kind of come to church kind of like you go to see a movie at the local movie theater. You expect the popcorn to be good and the Coke to be on point and the movie to be good, and if it's not, you're unhappy because we go to the movie cons- wanting to consume that entertainment. And, and so a lot of people go to church with that same consumer mentality. You know, we're here because we want a good message and we hope the music is good and we definitely want our kids to experience some good things and the kids programming. And so we're consuming and that's our mentality because we're selfish. And then there's, there's another group that, that I would just call the casual givers and they see the baskets being passed or they see the need of, hey, Christmas offering is coming and it's just like, oh, well, what do I have in my wallet? You know, here's some cash that I've got in my wallet. If you're like me, you never have cash. You're always using your debit card or whatever. And so, oh, I don't have it on me today. So I'll hit you up next week or I'll give online and it just never happens. Just casually giving. Then there's the consistent givers. And so they're giving week to week or month to month or whatever it is, year to year, if you're disciplined enough to do that. And so they're giving consistently, but it's not the percentage that God would say, this is where you need to be at. And then there's the committed And these are the folks that are truly committed. And so they give financially. And this is strategic. This is systematic. I've calculated it. I know what this percentage is. This is what we're giving. This is what we're giving this year. And this is what we want to give next year. And this is what we want to give to other things if if, if we're so blessed to do so. And we're committed to give to the Christmas. You know, it's systematic. It's, it's, It's regular. And that's what I would encourage you to get to. Next Sunday, as we collect the Christmas offering, I'm, I'm gonna be asking everyone to recognize their responsibility to not neglect the house of God, not neglect us, the ministry that we are doing, that God is doing in and through us for this city. And the greatest thing we can do as a church today, the greatest thing, the most important thing we can do is to create more space for those in our community who are unchurched, who don't know the Lord Jesus In September 2014, I introduced a a campaign that we called the Invest Campaign, and many of you guys have been giving towards that, and I am so grateful and thankful for those who have been doing that, and it's because of you that we bought the land, and we even started the building, and and, uh, we're pursuing that, and uh, essentially, it was a three-year commitment. So this September 2017, technically, that commitment runs out, and so what I'm asking you to do is to continue all throughout the year, 2017, uh, with that commitment. 
I'm asking you to give generously to the Christmas offering and then continue that gift through 2017. Now, if you're not giving, man, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you. I'm asking you to give generously next Sunday to, to, to give in a way that you would, you would show sacrifice to God. And, and then I'm asking you as well to look at the invest campaign and say, okay, for one year, what could we give over and above what we normally give? I believe as we do that corporately as a church and we are able to raise uh, what we need to raise, which is $500,000 as a church, I believe God's gonna not just bless this community, but he's gonna bless us in so many other ways. Because the reality is, this is for our city, but we're gonna get the blessing too. Anytime we're faithful, we get blessed. Our kids are gonna grow up in this church. They're gonna get blessed. But what I love about this is it's not just this community. As, As we reach more people with the gospel, and by the way, I mean, if new people come to our church, is that okay with you guys? Okay, good. Because if it's not, this probably isn't the church for you. Because we, we like to see people understand who Jesus is and come to this church. And we love new people because we believe God brings people here, not just to come and sit and soak, but to go and serve, right? And so, so we're going to see a lot of new people come to our church. And as a result, what that does is that impacts our city because that means there are more hands and feet to love and to impact our community with the gospel. But part of our vision is not just here in Maryville. We believe as we grow and as more people come, it enlarges our capacity to be able to become a multi-site church so that all around this area, we can, we can start other churches. So, so we'll essentially be one church in many locations. I know you probably have heard about churches doing that and whatever, and there's different ways of doing that. But the way that we're gonna do it is to have live teaching we're not gonna do that on video. We're, we're gonna send people there. We're gonna raise up leaders, invest into uh, pastors and send them to, to teach and to lead and to be a part of those. But then also we're, we're excited to plant churches all over the, the, the North America, all over the world as God gives us opportunity. That's why we sent Pastor Greg to DC. The North American Mission Board is the SBC's um, missional arm that plants churches and they've identified a few cities in the U.S. that they call sin cities where they're sending church planters because the population is huge and because there aren't many churches there. And D.C. was one of them. And so that's one of the reasons why Greg went and, and why he's there. And it's one of the reasons why we went to London because it's a global city where the population is huge and there's not a lot of churches. So we believe as we do this little thing, we, as each of us give what God's calling us to give and we're serving in the capacity that God wants us to serve. That overflows in this community. But even bigger and greater than that is it's gonna flow into other cities around us and even in North America and literally the world. That gets me excited. I hope that excites you, the, the fact that, man, you're, you're not just impacting Maryville in the future, you will be impacting other areas as well. And so we're gonna close with a, an opportunity for you to worship and an opportunity for you to pray and seek the Lord. As we close next Sunday, we're gonna be asking uh, you to give that Christmas offering commitment, that invest commitment. And uh, we're gonna gonna ask God today what that is. Some of you already know, you've been praying about it. If you haven't, ask God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to be faithful in this area? And, And maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you need to recommit. You know, maybe, maybe it's a Bible study, a marriage Bible study that you need to do with your spouse. And so you're gonna do that on Right Now Media or go get a, a marriage coach in your life to help coach you up on what it looks like to, to be a godly man or woman. Maybe it's this idea of rest and, and you just need to make a commitment that, man, Sundays I am not going to work. Whatever day, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna put you first. 
And maybe it's financially. Maybe it's time for you to make that recommitment financially to God that we're putting you first in the area of our resources. Let's pray. Lord, as we close today and as we look to your word, it's, it's really easy to learn it, but it's really difficult to do it. We can see it right here in your word, how the Israelites turned back to you and they made some powerful commitments. And I know in the room today, there are a lot of excuses. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues that I don't know about, but you know each and every one. You know the direction that each person needs to take. You know the commitments they need to make. And we know ultimately, God, if we make these commitments, we're the ones that get blessed. We're the ones that enjoy a deeper walk and relationship with you. And so, Lord, I'm praying that your spirit would have freedom in this place and that each one of us would let down the walls of disbelief, let down the walls of fear, let our past go, and we would focus on today and the future that we have with you. Convict us, Lord, where we're failing. Encourage us, God, where where we are being faithful. May we leave today with just a refocus and re vision like for for what you're calling us to do and to be and Lord I'm thankful for this place excited to see your hand working here and we pray this in the name of Jesus amen thank you for listening more information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com